Well, good morning, church. I hope everyone's doing well. And uh, it's good to see everybody here this morning, this rainy, rainy morning. So, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 17 and 18 this morning. We're going to begin in verse uh, 22 of chapter 17, and we're going to read through verse 14 of uh, chapter 18. And the title of the message today is Taking Care of the Children. Taking Care of the Children. The scripture says, And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax, from their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go into the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourselves. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever sees one such child in my name receives me. And, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones, for it is not the will of my Father who is of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading and the proclamation of His word. When I was in seminary and going to Risley Baptist Church, Tom Jordan was an older associate pastor in our church. He did a lot of the visitation. And he gave me a little bit of ministerial advice. He said, if you like dogs and old people, you'll make it in the ministry. Okay? I've thought about that many times. And I've told people about that story many times. You know, I actually think there's some truth in that statement. 
Tom knew that if you treated older people and animals with patience and love and respect, uh, you'd probably care for others in the same way. So how you treat older people who maybe... if I love to visit with older people. But the truth is, they often tell the stories time after time after time. Maybe I find myself doing that more than I used to. But anyway, uh, we, we tell the same stories again and again. And some people... Uh, are not patient with older people. But I'm telling you, I, I just love to visit the old people find out about all they've gone through in their lives. And, uh, and I always like dogs, but anyway. <laughs> My friend uh, David Sundin, he, he used to tell me he would help churches find pastors as he was a director of missions in uh, Minnesota. And he'd say when he uh, talked to a pastoral candidate and, th- th- and he was thinking about recommending them to a certain church... Uh, he would always take them out to uh, a restaurant for dinner. And as he took them out, he would always observe how they treated those who waited on, on him and David, on David and, and the person. He wanted to see if they treated them with respect, with concern, or he wanted to see if they treated them like servants. Because if they treated them with dignity and respect and concern, it revealed a caring and respectful attitude probably that was present toward all people. Now, in the time Jesus walked the earth, um, <clears throat> he, he, he respected and treated with dignity the despised, the downtrodden. He treated those who, who had kind of open sin, not with disdain, but with compassion and love. Jesus had a different attitude toward children than many adults of his day. Jesus loved and respected and cherished children. You know, there was a time that mothers brought their children to Jesus so that Jesus could bless them. You remember that in the Gospels? And the disciples said, this is a waste of Jesus' time. He doesn't, he doesn't have time to mess with these children. You remember, remember Jesus' response? Mark tells us, when Jesus saw this, what the disciples were doing, he was indignant. He was mad about this. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. In the passage we read in Matthew today, Jesus teaches us about childlike faith. And he teaches about, a care, about caring for the little ones and the children. From this passage of scripture, we see this eternal truth. Believers embrace childlike dependence and humility as they love and care for the little ones among us. Believers embrace childlike dependence and humility as they love and care for the little ones among us. I think this chapter, Jesus tells us uh, just some ways to care for the children. To ways some, to care for the children. Uh, and to be like children. First of all, Jesus calls us to be to childlike humility and dependence. Jesus calls us to childlike humility and dependence. Now in Matthew 17, Jesus again tells his disciples, he, as they're moving along, uh, he has just healed a man whose, uh, whose son had a demon the apostles couldn't cast out. 
And he talked to them about that. But then he tells them again that he's going to be uh, delivered into the hands of men. And he's going to be killed. And he's going to be raised on the third day. Jesus again reinforces the, 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 the terrible hard things that are soon going to happen to him. And the scripture says the disciples this time were grieved. They were greatly distressed. They didn't argue with him this time like they had the first time. They were greatly distressed. And then they came to Capernaum. And Jesus had not been in Capernaum for a few months. And, and as he entered the town, some tax collectors approached Peter. Because Jesus and Peter were behind on paying the temple tax. You know, they came up to him and says, does your master uh, pay the temple tax? Now, the temple tax was a two drachma tax. Uh, uh, it was uh, that Jewish men were supposed to pay every year to the support of the ministry of the temple. Now, it wasn't compulsory. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, uh, a legal obligation, but it was a, a uh, religious obligation. And so they were supposed to pay two drachmas a year toward the ministry of the temple. Now there were some exceptions. The rabbis didn't have to pay it. And uh, some of the, the uh, religious teachers didn't have to pay it. Now Jesus, even though he was called rabbi, he was not trained in the uh, rabbinical school. So he was probably not considered an official rabbi. And so um, I wonder if the collectors thought, well, Jesus maybe thinks because he, he is a rabbi, he doesn't have to pay. Or does he consider himself? And so they were asking the question. And they expected a positive answer in the way they asked the question. And so, but they didn't go to Jesus. They approached Peter. They, they approached Peter and said, does your, does your teacher pay? And Peter says, yes, he pays it. And then I think Peter is coming to Jesus. Jesus knows about the conversation, evidently, that had taken place between Peter and these, uh, and these tax collectors. And Jesus begins to talk to him. And uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus asked a question about who's required. Do rulers require taxes from their sons or from others in that day? Well, Peter correctly answered that others pay the taxes. Their sons don't have to pay. Now, remember, Peter had just confessed not long ago, Jesus is, is the Christ, the son of the living God. And the living God was the temple that they worshiped in. And so I think Peter, uh, Jesus is reinforcing himself as the, as the Messiah and the living Son of God. Peter was helping, uh, Jesus was helping Peter to see, technically, that he's God's Son. He should not be required to pay. But he was teaching him, but he also said, we're not going to offend them. We're going to pay the tax. So he miraculously, uh, the only time in the New Testament they're talking about fishing with the hook, he says, go throw a hook in and catch a fish, and in that fish... Uh, fish's mouth will be a drachma. A drachma was basically uh, a, a shekel was basically four drachmas. There'll be a shekel, uh, and so in the in the fish's mouth, uh, there'll be enough for your tax and mine. Uh, a kind of strange miracle, but you know if Jesus can can change water into wine, he can put a coin in a fish's mouth, basically, and so and so. Jesus kind of miraculously provided for his tax and for Peter's tax. Now we come to chapter 18. And, and, and we've seen Peter kind of singled out in these last few chapters. There's about five different instances where Peter is kind of singled out. 
Peter is singled out when he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter is singled out for rebuke when he tells Jesus he doesn't have to go to the cross. Um, Peter is is, uh, singled out here. He's he's uh, he's he's put with Peter and James and John. They get to go to the Mount of Transformation and see Jesus in all his uh, his uh, eternal glory. And now uh, Jesus pays Peter's taxes. You know he pays Peter's taxes. And so I think maybe among some of the apostles there was a kind of sense we want to know where we stand. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who is great? In the kingdom of heaven. I think there might have been a little bit of a jealousy. And envy. And I think the apostles were basically thinking about themselves. Where they stood. How they ranked in the order of apostles. And so they asked the question. Who's greatest in the kingdom of God? Now think about this. Jesus had just told them. In the not too distant past. About. He was going to be betrayed into the hands of men. He's going to be crucified. He was, he was going to rise from the dead. He was going to be uh, delivered. He had told him the horrible things that were going to happen to him. But somehow they could only think about where they were at, their positions and their prestige in the kingdom of God. They weren't thinking about the prophecy of Jesus and his upcoming suffering and death. What were they doing? They were comparing themselves uh, to each other and wanting to set up the chain of command. They wanted to know who's going to be the top dog in this organization. You know, there's always a danger when we compare our, our walk with Jesus with fellow believers. Because the Lord doesn't treat us all the same. He treats us like we need to be treated. Now, you, you, would, you could possibly say to me, well, I treated all my kids the same, and I would know that that's not true. Because you don't, because they're, they're not the same. You can't treat ones like you treated the others. You know, my kids had different personalities. Uh, my daughter Jessica was an in-your-face challenges kind of human being. Uh, she's a strong-willed person. My son, Nathan, was kind of sneaky. Uh, he didn't, he didn't kind of do in-your-face stuff. He kind of did stuff. He knew kind of how to work us, really. And he did things kind of we didn't know about, really. We kind of found out later. But the truth is, you don't treat your kids exactly the same. Jesus didn't treat his apostles exactly the same. God is not going to work in my life like he works in your life. And so you've got to trust what he's doing in your life. When, even when you look at somebody else, you might think, I'm going through terrible times right now. How come so-and-so never has to face stuff like this? I don't know. I don't know those answers. I think about some of my friends who've had horrific tragedies in their lives. And they are loving and they're serving God. And sometimes I just think, I don't know if I could make it with what they were gone through. I compare myself but not... It's kind of not in a bad way. I just, I'm amazed at how God has brought them through. And I, and I don't know why God does allow some things in someone's life and not in my life. But I know that he loves me and he's going to watch over and take care of me and you. See, don't compare yourselves with fellow believers. 
Well, they wanted to be singled out also. They wanted greatness for themselves. They wanted to be the most valuable apostle. Look how Jesus handled this. He called a child to him. He put him in the middle of the group. Now this was, this was strange in itself. Because basically in Jesus' day, as like you've heard uh, a while ago, children are to be seen and not heard. Basically, Jesus made this child the center of attention and put him in the middle of the group and gave him kind of a, a prominence even among his apostles. And he told his disciples, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are worried about being great in the kingdom of God. Jesus tells them they're asking the wrong question. You need to be thinking about how to enter the kingdom of God, about the attitude you should have as part of the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at the child and tells them they must have a humble and, uh, and tells them, his apostles, they got to have the humble and dependent attitude of a child in order to even get in the kingdom of God. You're worried about greatness. This child is completely dependent on me for entering the kingdom. He's completely dependent on his parents for everything in his life. And we have to have the same humility that realizes everything we have comes from someone else. You see, to enter God's kingdom, you've got to have a childlike dependence on God. Like a, like a child depends on other adults for his life and support. The proud, the self-sufficient can't enter the kingdom of God. We can only enter as we call on the name of the Lord who will save us. That's the only way we can enter. Uh, those who remain preoccupied about personal privileges and greatness can't enter the kingdom of God. Only those who are like children and depend and totally trust on the mercy and forgiveness and grace of God enter the kingdom. You call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You can't do that for yourself. Only God can do that for you. Only Jesus can save you. So we need the humility of a child. Jesus says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. You want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to have a dependent attitude like this child. You've got to see yourself as, as totally dependent on God and His grace and His mercy and His work. Stop worrying about your position in the kingdom of God. Just love and serve others and, and basically call on me and ask me to help you. Greatness is humbling yourself like this child. Jesus calls us to childlike humility and dependence. That's something we have to continually remind ourselves. You know, is, is there self-sufficiency in my life? One of the things I've been praying lately is, God, is there any way that I'm trusting in myself and not trusting in you? Is there any way I'm depending on Bob Ray instead of depending on the Spirit of God? Teach me how to totally trust in you. There's a second way, though, that we're to be like and care for the children, and that's this. Jesus calls us to receive the little ones. Now, Jesus tells us in verse 5 and 6, whoever receives such a child in his name receives him. Not only are do you have a child like humility and dependence, you are to receive such people. You are to receive such people. You're not to look for the ones uh, who help you achieve and succeed, but you receive those who are utter, who seem utterly dependent. You are to receive such people. Um, and there's a warning here. 
if you cause one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, to stumble, to lose faith, it'd be better for you to have a great millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the seas. Now that's quite a warning. It'd be better for you. It'd be better for you to not cause this, if, to be thrown into the sea with a, a millstone. And, it, and he's not talking about some little rock. He's talking about the stone that the donkey would, would uh, be, be a harness to that would, that would crush the grain up and refine the grain. That's what he's talking about. It'd be better for you to have a great millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea than cause one of these little ones to stumble and lose faith. Jesus warns against anything that would cause emotional and spiritual harm to children and other little ones. I think little ones, I, I think they are children, but I also think they could be people with childlike natures. Or possibly even those just new to the faith or just responding to the faith. And so Jesus tells us not to mess up the little ones in such a way that endangers their souls and endangers them. If you mess up children, if you mess up the vulnerable... God notices. God notices. It'll be worse for such a person than being drowned with a huge stone in the deepest part of the sea. God notices those who harm and misuse and abuse children. Um, Oftentimes we think people get away with things in this life. But God notices. God notices. You may have been following the the, uh, news about Jeffrey Epstein. And Jeffrey Epstein evidently abused many young women for many, many years. And then he was kind of caught. He was in jail. And in jail, he killed himself. Well, many of his accusers were extremely disturbed because they thought he's got away with it. He escaped justice. He escaped justice. You know, we think about all the things that Adolf Hitler did. And then at the end of his life, what did he do? He killed himself. And people said he escaped justice. But I want to say to you, no, he did not. You see, Jeffrey Epstein and Adolf Hitler and those who horrifically abuse and kill and misuse and destroy others will stand one day before a just God. God's punishment for the unrepentant who refuse to believe, who harm and abuse others, will be, wor- will be the worst thing that ever happened to them. The, the God of justice will make everything right one day. You see, God will hold them accountable. This, this passage uses very strong language. It uses very strong language. He talks about the hell of fire. I mean... You can't really water that down. It's as harsh as it seems. You see, God's a just God. And He's gonna He's gonna He's gonna He's gonna make every right wrong. And every unrepentant person who won't believe in Jesus, they're not gonna get away with anything. And the truth is, you and I, even as Christians, even when our sins are forgiven, we haven't gotten away with it because Jesus suffered the penalty for us on the cross. Jesus tells us we're to receive the little ones. We are to never abuse or misuse the little ones. We need to be careful that that never happens in our lives because He loves the little ones. So we're to receive the little ones and cherish and protect them. But thirdly, Jesus calls us to protect against things that cripple the little ones. 
Now Jesus says uh, in verse 7, Woe to the world for temptations of sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. Jesus tells us there's going to be temptations as long as you live in the world. But woe to them through whom the temptations come. You see, you can't, you can't avoid temptation. You can't. You live in this world. You're going to be tempted and there's going to be things that tempt you. But Jesus tells us as his children specifically, we need to guard against ever being one of the ones through whom temptations come. It is a serious thing to be the originator of temptations. Uh, And Jesus tells us it's such a serious thing that you need to take drastic action to make sure you're not causing temptations. Uh, He talks about cutting off a hand or a foot, gouging out an eye. He says it's better to be crippled or lame or uh, or blind in one eye than to be thrown into the eternal fire of hell. Now, that's, that's very strong language, isn't it? If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better to have one eye than be thrown into the eternal fire of hell. Now, notice something. Jesus uses the hand and the foot and the eye. Now, what's interesting about the hand, the foot, and the eye? There's always two of them, right? We have two hands and two feet and two eyes. Jesus is not literally telling us to get rid of one hand or one foot or one eye. If I got rid of one, I'd still have the other one. That messes me up too, right? If I get rid of one eye, I can still see out of the other eye. But Jesus is telling us in a forceful and very dramatic way that we, don't, we need to spare no effort to rid ourselves of sins that cripple us or that can cripple others. We need to spare no effort to rid ourselves of certain things that destroy us and that maybe do great harm to others. It's such a, a, a wrong way of thinking to think my sin only affects myself. Your sin affects everybody around you. It affects everyone around you. One of the things that, that helps me is just to see in the Bible when David sinned, he committed adultery and murder. He was forgiven for that sin, you know. But it sure messed up his sons. And I think you and I need to understand that when we sin, it's not just a personal kind of thing. It has a toll on everybody around us. And especially those closest to us. Jesus says dramatically deal with those kind of things. You know, we've all known people with addictive kind of behaviors. And somehow they come to the end of themselves, right? And and when they finally come there, they take dramatic measures to make sure they they, they don't go back to that lifestyle. You know, Carla has a friend that... um, had a meth addiction and she says she could never ever be around anybody that used meth ever again. I've known people with alcohol and drug addictions and they've le- they le- when they come to where they're, they're, so- they're sick of that and God begins to work in their lives and set them free, they leave behind lifetime friends who aided them in their addictions. They go to support meetings, to AA or uh, Celebrate Recovery or NA groups. Sometimes they go uh, twice a day, seven days a week. Because 
they are taking dramatic and drastic uh, ways to deal with those things that have kept them in bondage. You see, we think we can play around with sin sometimes. We can keep it on a leash. We can pull it out occasionally and play with it. You know, it reminds me of the stories of people who have kept uh, wild animals or deadly snakes around the house as pets. And one day they find that those things have killed or severely injured a family member. You see, we need to deal forcefully with the sins in our lives that cripple us and endanger others before we or some little one is, is hurt or destroyed. Jesus calls us to protect against the things that cripple the little ones. Fourth, Jesus calls us to search for the little ones when they go astray. Now Jesus said in verse 10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. These little ones, the children, the childlike, the vulnerable have angels watching over them uh, who, who, be, who are before the face of God. And, they, and God the Father and these angels notice when they're despised. It's, a lot of people, if you believe in guardian angels, this is kind of the verse. And I'm not sure if every believer or every person has guardian angels, but somehow these angels are looking out for the little ones. That's what this passage says here. They see the face of God. He says, don't despise the little ones. Don't despise those mature or immature Christians. Or don't despise those children who keep making the same mistakes. It's easy to despise the little ones sometimes, isn't it? It's easy to despise people when they keep making the same mistakes. They keep going astray. You know, somebody that you've tried to help, that you've worked with, and, and all of a sudden they, they do that thing that you've been trying to help them not to do. And you've been working with them and you think they finally got it and they don't have it. And they fall back into that same kind of trap and that same kind of sin. And oftentimes we think to ourselves, don't they know better by now? I mean, why do they keep making the same bad choices and the same sinful mistakes? How messed up can you be? How much more can you mess up your life before things change? Have you ever thought that? I've thought that about people. That are struggling. And it's easy to despise those little ones. But Jesus said don't do that. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Don't despise the little ones. And instead of despising them. Jesus tells us. That we need to go searching for them. You know there's some you just got to keep searching for. They get lost. You go searching for them. They get lost again. You go searching for them again. Jesus says, instead of despising the little ones, go searching after them. He talks about the shepherd leaving the 99 safe sheep and searching for the one sheep in danger, the one who is lost. That's what shepherds do. I think in the context, Jesus is kind of talking about straying believers. In other places, he uses this same kind of story and talk about searching for those who are outside of Christ. I think here he's talking about straying believers. Don't give up on them. Search for them until you find them and bring them back and they're safe and they're growing. Because why? The little ones are worth searching for and finding. And when you find them, and when they finally return, you rejoice 
over them more than the ninety-nine who did not go astray. It's easy to give up when someone keeps messing up. You know the story I kind of told you uh, about Carla's friend. You know the amazing thing is Carla worked with her for years and years and years. And she'd keep having these relapses and things would keep happening and we'd keep, Carla keep loving her and working with her. But you know, finally after so many years, I think she finally got it together. And you see her and a husband and a daughter in a family that looks good and happy. It's hard to work with the little ones. It's hard not to be impatient with the little ones. But you know, I I never give up on my kids. <laughs> you know? And you haven't given up on your kids even if they're straying right now. Don't give up on the little ones. Search for them. Pray for them until they come home. You see, the little ones are important to Jesus. Those who no one cares about, those whom others look down on or despise, those who can't add any value to your life are the ones that are loved by Jesus. We are among those little ones. Do you realize that? I'm one of the little ones that Jesus brought to himself and didn't despise and searched for me. Jesus calls us to be like the little ones in childlike humility and dependence. Jesus calls us to receive the little ones, to protect the little ones from things that cripple them. And Jesus calls us to search for the little ones when they go astray. Brothers and sisters, fellow believers today, will we embrace childlike dependence and humility as those we love and care for the little ones among us? May we pray together. today if you're maybe you're maybe you're a person here who's kind of gone astray maybe you've never given your life to Christ or maybe you you've not you've you've been far from him but today's the day he wants you to to come back and to say lord i'm going to live for you i'm going to follow you i'm going to do your will from this point on if you've never Receive Jesus in your life. The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, Jesus died for you on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He rose again so that you can have eternal life. But you can't have eternal life until you receive Him and believe in Him and put your trust in Him. If you've never done that, will you give your life to Christ today? Maybe you're a Christian and you're far from Him. And and He has been searching for you. He has not given up on you. And today you just want to tell Him as we pray, as you pray even right now, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm going to live for you. I'm sorry for straying. Help me to be faithful. And maybe you haven't strayed, but you've been so impatient with the little ones around you and you've given up on them. Say, Lord, help me to love them like you love them. Help me to be patient for them and search for them until they come home to you.
We have a couple people. Annette and Jason will be at the back this morning. And if you need to pray with someone or talk to someone about anything the Lord's spoken to you, about what it means to be a Christian, you, 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 you're thinking about doing that, what it means to be a believer, receiving Him, but you need someone to help you, uh, they'll be back at the bottom of the steps to help you and to pray with you about these or any other things that you want to talk to them about today. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a searching God and that when we were lost, when I was lost in my sin, when I was far from you, you came looking for me. You searched for me. You sent people as your family to search for me and you brought me to yourself. Lord, I thank you that you are the God who loves and searches for the lost sheep. And I pray that I would join you in this every single day. I pray that there are those who are hurting, who are lost, who need your comfort, who, Lord, are being defeated by sin day after day. I pray that you would help them to keep walking with you and walking towards you. Help us to help them to, to follow you and to live for you. Just work in their lives in a mighty way. Jesus, help us to have your heart and to love the little ones that you love. It is in your name that I pray. Amen.